right, that was awkward, but we're ready to go here. <laughs> one, of, uh, one of the things, those of you that, that may not know, I'm the father of two girls, and one of the greatest privileges of being a dad of two girls is that they like to talk, and um, so they, they like to share whatever's on their mind. And so if they're excited about something, they generally let us know that. If they're upset about something, they generally let us know that, and I love that because it tells me that there's you know, a level of trust there. I love that they feel like they can communicate uh, with Sean and with me, uh, and that's a good thing. But I'll be real honest and say the thing, I, it, it's not fun to hear them talk when they're upset about something or they're hurting over something, right? That, I want them to do that because I know that it's healthy, but I don't enjoy that. I don't enjoy listening to those things that are, that are bothering them. Um, but I, I try to, to do a good job of, of doing that because I know how important it is. Um, you know, today we are jumping into the book of Psalms. We're starting a new series called Summer and Psalms. And one of the things that we're going to see as we get into this book is that it covers the whole gamut of emotions. It's everything from praise and excitement about God's goodness to God, where are you and what have you been doing and why have you abandoned me kind of emotions. And we have a father who invites us to bring all of those things to him. You know, everything that we may be thinking and feeling, uh, we can bring that to God. And the book of Psalms is a great reminder of that. In fact, I, I, I thought this was great. This was, uh, let me share with you a little snippet from a devotional on the Desiring God website. It's by a guy by the name of Marshall Siegel. Uh, or it could be Seagal, but I, I thought that sounded too much like an actor, so I'm going with Siegel. But here's what he said. He said, when we think of the Psalms, we might be tempted to think they're simple, positive, repetitive, but they give voice to the entire spectrum of sorrow and suffering. Do you feel abandoned by God? The Psalms know what you feel. Oh, Lord, why do you cast my soul away? Why do you hide your face from me? Psalm 88, 14. Is some fear threatening to consume you? The Psalms know what you feel. When I'm afraid, I put my trust in you. In God, whose word I praise, in God I trust, I shall not be afraid. What can flesh do to me? Psalm 56, 3 and 4. Has someone tried to make your life miserable? The Psalms know what you feel. More in number than the hairs of my head are those who hate me without cause. Mighty are those who would destroy me, those who attack me with lies. Psalm 69, 4. Do you need wisdom about a hard decision or situation? The Psalms know what you feel. Teach me, O Lord, the way of your statutes, and I will keep it to the end. Give me understanding that I may keep your law and observe it with my whole heart. Psalm 119, 33 and 34. Have you ever been betrayed by someone you love? The Psalms know what you feel. It is not an enemy who taunts me, then I could bear it. It is not an adversary who deals insolently with me, then I could hide from him. But it is you, a man, my equal, my companion, my familiar friend. Psalm 55, 12, and 13. Now, thankfully, the Psalms do give voice to more than just our, our sorrow and our suffering and our grief. They also give voice to our triumph. Uh, they, they give us an outlet for our joy and our deep trust in God. They give voice to our prayers. They give wings to our praise. There's just so much in the book of Psalms. And over the next couple of months, we're going to dive into that. And my prayer is that we encounter God 
in a way that is gritty and real and powerful and inspiring. And wherever you find yourself on that spectrum of emotions and, and wherever you may be, the book of Psalms meets you there. And we'll, we'll cover a, a wide variety of those um, different things that we go through. Today we're going to begin in chapter 81. So if you want to open your Bible with me to Psalm 81, we're going to be in verses 8 through 16 to start out with here. And it says, Hear me, my people, and I will warn you, if you would only listen to me, Israel. You shall have no foreign god among you. You shall not worship any god other than me. I am the Lord your God who brought you up out of Egypt. Open wide your mouth and I will fill it. But my people would not listen to me. Israel would not submit to me. So I gave them over to their stubborn hearts to follow their own devices. If my people would only listen to me, if Israel would only follow my ways, how quickly I would subdue their enemies and turn my hand against their foes. Those who hate the Lord would cringe before him and their punishment would last forever. But you would be fed with the finest of wheat. With honey from the rock, I would satisfy you. Now, there's a lot of good stuff in this passage, but I have to tell you that the main verse, the one that grabbed my attention when I was reading it um, just a couple of months ago is verse 10 and specifically this little phrase, open wide your mouth and I will fill it. And we're going to come back to that more in a little bit, but I just want to start there by asking you to join me in a prayer that we just come before God with mouths wide open and that we're ready for God to fill us with, with his word today. So let's pray. Father, I do just simply ask that, that we would do just that. We come with our mouths wide open, ready to be filled by you. So speak to us and fill us and help us to have a hunger for you today, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, one of the, the greatest um, challenges of parenting. I know many of you have either been through this or you are uh, going to be going through it at, at some point in time. One of those challenges is knowing when to uh, let your kids make their own decisions, especially when you know as a parent that they might not be making the best ones. And, you know, it's interesting to me, by the way, we often get this backwards. A lot of times how this works for a lot of parents is that when kids are very young, they give them complete freedom and kind of let them call the shots and do what they want. And then as they get older, they want to tighten the reins and, you know, pull back. That's exactly the opposite. It's not a, a, a message on parenting, but just a little tidbit there. Provide that structure when they're younger and that direction, so they, they learn some of those disciplines. And then as they get older, the goal is then to back off a little bit and, and let them begin to make some of those decisions, knowing that that foundation is, placed, is in place. But even as they get older, and the goal, of course, is for our kids to grow up and become responsible adults. It's not for us to you know, hover over and make every decision for them their whole lives. We've got to let them go, right? But it, it's hard to know sometimes where is that line? And of course, even as they get older, there are times that we have to step in and say no or yes or whatever the case may be. But the goal is to turn more and more responsibility over to them. And as a parent, if you've been there, if you've been in that stage of life, you know it is really, really hard sometimes to let your kids make decisions when you, having had just maybe a little bit more wisdom or a little bit more experience, understand where some of these decisions are heading that they may not necessarily recognize at the time. But you got to let them do it. And I read this passage, and I think about God as our Heavenly Father. 
And what I see in this passage is God offering wisdom to his children, but then allowing them to make their decisions. How many parents have, I mean, have you, how often have you thought this at the end of verse 8? God himself says, if you would only listen to me, Israel. How many times have you wanted, if you would just listen to me, I promise you I'm trying to steer you in the right direction. And yet God says the same thing to his children here. If you would only listen to me. What he's saying is, look, I want to save you some heartache here. I want to help you avoid things. I want to bless you. I want to provide for you. But you've got to listen to me. You've got to be willing to do things my way. And so today as we kind of dive into this passage, we do so with that understanding on the front end that God is a loving Father who wants the best for us. That's His desire. That's what He wants to give us. And so the question is, are we going to submit to Him? Are we going to turn to Him? Are we going to come with mouths wide open? Ready for him to fill it? Or are we going to let God be in charge? Verse 9, look again at verse 9. He makes it very clear there. Uh, he says, you shall have no foreign God among you. You shall not worship any God other than me. And essentially uh, what he's saying here, and this is kind of the, the, the first main idea today, is a reminder that we worship God only. We worship God only. First of the Ten Commandments, right? You shall have no other gods before me. And we might look at that and say, well, okay, understanding the, the context here, I mean, they literally had to decide not to worship foreign gods because the people groups all around them, they all had their own gods that they worshipped. And God had warned them about that repeatedly in the Old Testament. That's why he told them, don't intermarry. That's why he said, keep yourself separate from the groups around you because if they begin to influence you, they're going to influence you toward their foreign gods. And that's not acceptable because there's really only one true God. You'll have no other God before me. And so that happened. And they began to do that. And so, I mean, we might look at that and say, yeah, but, I mean, yeah, that's true. There are some other gods out there today. But in, in our culture, in our community, in this part of the world, maybe it's not so common. But my question is, but, but is it? <laughs> you know, do we, in a sense, worship foreign gods, not in terms of, you know, truly someone that we would call a god, but, but do we give credit to maybe other things and that becomes like a god? In 2013, there was a, an American philanthropist and businessman by the name of Leonard Lauder that gave an astonishing gift to the Metropolitan Museum of Art in New York City. Uh, Lauder and his brother are the sole heirs to the Estee Lauder companies. And uh, very wealthy as a result of that. And in 2013, he promised what is called a, the, the Cubist Art Collection. It claimed, uh, I think it was 70-something pieces of art from all different kinds. Picasso has several works in there. Other very famous artists. He promised uh, once a, a um, place was designed for it where they could display it appropriately to donate this to, to the uh, Metropolitan Museum of Art there Anyone want to guess the value of that Cubist art collection? $1.1 billion is the estimated value on this. Now, as you can imagine, if you offer a donation in excess of a billion dollars, they're going to make a big deal of it, right? And so they had, you know, their, their ways of doing that. Can you imagine how crazy it would be if they thanked the wrong person? I mean, what if Leonard 
Lauder was the one that gave the, the gift, but, but what if they decided to give credit to Andrea Young, who was the CEO of Avon, Estee Lauder's largest competitor at the time? I mean, what if they had thanked her publicly rather than thanking Lauder, the one that, that gave the gift? That would just be unthinkable, right? And yet, how often do we give credit to or give recognition to something or someone other than God? And in a sense, isn't that having uh, another God before him? Or, or, or we just simply allow things to become priorities in our lives. I mean, when you think of, I've said this many times before, but I think it's helpful to think of worship in terms of worthship. We worship what we ascribe ultimate worth to. Think about all the different areas that, that we ascribe worth to things like jobs, success, pleasure, money, sex, drugs, sports, family. Well, we could go on and on and on on the list, right? Things that in a sense we do worship or they can become little g gods if we're not careful. And so this may apply to us more than we realize when he reminds them, you'll have no other god before me. Um, Ultimately, what he's saying here is that I want to be the only one on the throne of your life. I'm the one who's in charge. And when we follow after false gods, we do so because they, they give us something in return. There is some type of temporary pleasure or some type of temporary satisfaction that comes from following false gods. Otherwise, we wouldn't do it. And yet... The only truly lasting joy and, and sense of fulfillment is found in the one true God. But we have a decision to make. And that is, are we going to go our own direction? Are we going to follow our own gods? Are we going to let God himself be on the throne of our lives? And I love the way Joshua phrased it in Joshua 24, 14 and 15. It says, now fear the Lord and serve him with all faithfulness. Throw away the gods your ancestors worshiped beyond the Euphrates River and in Egypt and serve the Lord. And then verse 15, which we've probably heard many times before. But if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve. Whether the gods your ancestors served beyond the Euphrates or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you're living. But as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. Joshua said, you got to make up your mind. I can't decide for you. And that's exactly the same decision every single one of us has to make. Who's going to be the God of our lives? It's going to be someone or something. And we have to choose. And of course, the encouragement is, choose the Lord and serve Him. And when we do that, look at what happens in verse 10. It says, I am the Lord your God. So when we recognize Him as our God, the Lord our God... It says, who brought you out of Egypt, and then there's this phrase we talked about earlier, open wide your mouth and I will fill it. We're reminded that God wants to fill us completely. And that's the second main idea. I just want to remind you of that today. We have a God who wants to fill us completely. He invites us to come before him with mouths wide open so that we can receive all that he wants to give us. When our girls were young, uh, we would go visit Sean's family in Houston, and when we would visit her dad, he had a, just kind of a fun little game that he would do with the kids. He would always save up all of his change and throw it in a, a, a big jar. And before the girls came, I'm, I'm 
sure he went and got all the quarters and everything and put them on, on the very top of the change jar because it looked like nothing but quarters. I mean, there had to be hundreds of dollars worth of change that he had in this little jar. And here's the game that, that the kids got to play. Every time they came to see him, they got to reach their hand into that jar and whatever they could grab, they got to keep. And I mean, you're talking, you know, young kids. It's like, that's pretty exciting. I mean, they may come out with 10 bucks worth of quarters or whatever if they could really get a good handful, you know. And so, you know, the, the, the goal then was to open your hand as wide as you possibly can and get it in there, make it as big as you can so that you can hold as much money as possible. The wider your hand, and, and by the way, I'm pretty sure there were some silent prayers being offered for God to temporarily grow the size of their hands while they were reaching down in there. But the, the bigger your hand, the more you can grasp you know, the fact that God wants to, to feed us, the wider our mouths, the more we'll take in. So do we come before God with mouths open wide, like just ready to receive everything? Or, or do we have kind of lips pursed and maybe just a one little bitty opening where just a little bit can get through? And if our mouths are not wide open, we're not going to receive much. We might get a little bit. But we're not going to receive much. So whose fault is it if we don't get filled up with God? It's not, not an issue on his end. I mean, he has plenty to, to fill us. He, he doesn't run out ever. The issue is we may not come with mouths wide open ready to receive from him. And so it could be that we're just not hungry. You know, it could be that we're filling ourselves with other things. I mean, kind of like uh, if you were to have a giant slice of cheesecake. I love cheesecake, by the way. But if you were to have a huge, big old slice of cheesecake right before a gourmet meal is presented to you, the food that is offered may be amazing. But if you just filled yourself up on cheesecake, you're probably not going to take as much in as you would otherwise, right? Because you're, you're already kind of full. You're filling yourself with other things. And by doing that, it's keeping us from getting the nutrients from the real meal. I wonder if when we come before God, sometimes we're just not hungry because we're filling ourselves with so much other stuff. And if so, Psalm 63, 1 through 3 would be a great place for us to go and a great prayer for us to pray. It says, you God are my God, earnestly I seek you. I thirst for you, my whole being longs for you in a dry and parched land where there is no water. I have seen you in the sanctuary and beheld your power and your glory. Because your love is better than life, my lips will glorify you. I mean, what a great thing to pray. God, help me to thirst for you like that. And how does that happen? It happens, it says in verse 3 there, because it says, I have, verse 2, I've seen you in your sanctuary and beheld your power. And then verse 3, because your love is better than life, my lips will glorify you. In other words, what he's saying is that, that he's gotten a taste of God's goodness. He's experienced God's presence in the sanctuary and he wants more of it. I mean, think about a thirsty traveler traveling through the desert, just parched and desperately needing water and coming on an oasis. Fresh water. That thirsty traveler, when he takes just one little sip, is not going to say, okay, I'm done. But that one little taste of water is going to create this desire in his whole being for more. And he's going to want to take in more and more and more until he is completely satisfied 
and rehydrated once again. As the more we taste of the goodness of God, the thirstier we are, by the way, and the more we drink from God's goodness, the more it creates a desire for us to continue to go back to that well over and over again. He reminds him in verse 10, in case they've forgotten, one of the reasons why we should be coming with him. He says, I am the Lord your God who brought you up out of Egypt. In other words, he's telling them, remember what I've done for you in the past. Remember my track record. And they knew his track record very well. They knew what God had done. They knew how he had brought plagues on the Egyptians to get them out of bondage in Egypt. They knew that before they left that the people went and asked for gold and silver and clothes. And the Egyptians just gave them all this stuff so that they had more than they needed when they left and were wandering in the wilderness. They knew how God caused the Red Sea to part so that they could pass through on dry ground and he brought the sea back together to drown the Egyptian army when they tried to come after them. They knew how God had provided manna on the, the, the floor of the desert, how he had provided water from a rock, how he provided more meat than they could eat. I mean, it was just one thing after another where he's saying, remember what I have done in leading you out of Egypt. And what God is saying is, let me remind you of my track record, of my faithfulness. And guys, if you have a relationship with God through faith in Christ, you have a track record of God's faithfulness. You have something that you can look back on. And certainly, you know, we look back on Scripture and we see God's faithfulness in Scripture and that's primary. But we're able to also see that in our own lives. Verses like Ephesians 2, 4, and 5 where it says, But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. See, that is our story. That's God's track record of faithfulness is that I was spiritually dead. I was separated from God. But in my spiritual death, God made me alive in Christ through His grace. Not through anything that I've done, but through His grace. That's your story if you have a relationship with Christ. And by the way, if you don't have a relationship with Christ, that can be your story. Simply by turning to Him in faith, acknowledging your own sinfulness, and realizing you'll never be able to be good enough for God because we can't be. That's what God's grace is all about. That's why he sent Jesus to the cross for us. Jesus died in our place to take the penalty for sin that we owe. But he paid that for us. That's faithfulness on God's behalf. And if you've not yet responded in faith to that, I urge you today to say yes to Christ and to trust in him. If you have already done that, then you have that as a track record of faithfulness. But don't you have other things in your life that you can look back on? I mean, aren't there times where you can look back and see where God provided a way when there seemed to be no way? Or God answered a prayer that you just know was of God and that there's no human explanation to it? Aren't there times in your life that you can look back and see when you were in a, just a time where it was complete turmoil, but the peace of God overwhelmed you in the midst of that turmoil? I mean, we have those things in our lives as well, in addition to Scripture, that we can look back and say, God is so faithful, and if He is, then why would we not come with mouths wide open? Here's the thing, church. God's not going to pry your jaws open to try to force feed what he wants to give you. He's not going to do that. But he's going to, to allow us to make 
our own decisions. And so, verse 11, verse 10 is what he wanted to do. Verse 11 is what actually happened. But my people would not listen to me. Israel would not submit to me. And I wonder if this really, if we're being honest, applies to some of us. Are we listening to God first and foremost? Are you willing to listen to what God says? Are you allowing God to speak to you through his word? That's the primary way that God speaks to us, through the Bible, through scripture. And so are we allowing that to happen? You know, when I don't listen well, there are probably a lot more than just two reasons, but I could think two primary reasons when I'm not listening. One is sometimes when I'm in a hurry. If I'm focused and on task and in a hurry, I don't listen well. If I'm headed somewhere and you want to stop and tell me a long story, I'm just going to be honest with you. I've, I struggle not to say, let's get this done so I can get on and do what I'm doing, right? Maybe I'm the only one that feels that way. But if I'm in a hurry, I have a hard time listening. You ever get in a hurry in life? Maybe you have a hard time listening to God because we just don't slow down, because we just don't value. See, when I do listen well is when I, I have time set aside in my mind. This is what this is for. We're, we're with family, we're with friends, we're with whatever, and we're just going to sit around and talk. And, and it's much easier to listen in that context because I'm not in a hurry anymore. We need those times where we can be unhurried in God's presence. I mean, for me, that works best just starting the day, first thing in the day, to sit before God and to be with God and really listen to God. But that's not enough. I can't just check the box and say, okay, I've done that. I can move on with the rest of my day. But even throughout the day, in the busyness of the day, to realize, oh, man, I need to slow down sometimes and just hear what God has to say. Sometimes we don't listen because we're in a hurry. But sometimes we don't listen because we don't want to hear what God has to say, if we're being totally honest. See, if somebody is coming to me to, to tell me to, to correct me on something or to give me an opinion that's different from mine or maybe to go through something that just feels to me maybe like they're whining about something or whatever, I don't want to hear it. I might try to make myself listen, but I don't want to because I don't like what's being said. Guys, sometimes we tune God out, frankly, because we just don't want to hear it. If I'm frustrated with my wife, which never happens, by the way. I'm glad you laughed at that. If I'm frustrated with my wife, I don't want to be reminded, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. I don't want to serve her in a moment when I'm frustrated. I don't want to hear that. If, if I'm tempted to spend money on something that satisfies the desires of my flesh, I don't want to be reminded that Scripture says that godliness with contentment is great gain. If I'm upset with somebody and just need to, to vent or get something off my chest, I don't want to be reminded not to let any unwholesome talk come out of my mouth, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs and it may benefit those who listen. See, I don't, I don't want to hear those things in that moment because that's not where I'm at. And so we can tune those things out. And of course the goal is to say, to, 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 to grow to the point of maturity. It's like, okay, I'm willing to listen, even if I don't want to. Because I know I need to hear that. And I want God to shape me and change me. It's really tempting to ignore God and just do what we want. He says that they weren't listening. But then the second thing he says is that they would not submit to me. You see, you and I have a decision going back to Joshua 24. Which God are you going to serve? Is it going to be self? Is it going to be the own, our own things that we want to do? Or is it going to be that we are submitted to God 
and willing to trust in Him. Frankly, um, it's easy for us to go through the motions and not really submit to God. I had a conversation with somebody in our church family last Sunday, and she said she's really seeking to just live wholeheartedly for the Lord. And she has somebody that's close to her, um, kind of like an extended family member, who said, I think you're taking this God stuff way too seriously. And she said, you know, I, I, I go to church every Sunday, but I still go and party and do what I want to do, and you can do both. And the truth is that you can do both, but you'll certainly not be in a place where God can bless as he talks about here. You see, the reason we come with mouths wide open is because God says, I'm gonna, when you do that, I'm going to give you what you need. He says, I would have made your enemies, I would have subdued your enemies, verse 14. Make them cringe before you. He says, you would be fed with the finest of wheat. With honey from the rock, I would feed you. And so guys, as we conclude today, I just want to remind you of this. That when God tells us, listen, and when he says, I want you to submit to me, he's doing that because he wants to provide for us the very best. The best of wheat, he says. I'm going to feed you with the best that there is available. But he doesn't stop there. He even goes on in verse 16 and he says, I will satisfy you with honey from the rock. See, honey in that time in this day was a delicacy. It wasn't a necessity. It was, it was something extra. And what God is saying to his people here is, if you'll trust me, if you'll listen to me, if you'll come before me with your mouth wide open and let me, I'm not just going to meet your needs. I'm going to give you some honey. There's going to be something extra that I want to give because I love you and I want to provide for you. So, are you coming before God on a regular basis with a mouth wide open? Are you ready to receive what God wants to give? Are you listening to what God has to say? And more importantly, are you submitting your life in obedience to let God be who He really is, the one true God? If the answer is no, then I want to urge you to change that. Do something about that today to make sure that your heart is in a place of surrender and ready for God to do in your life what He wants to do. Let's pray together. Father, today I do pray um, that you will help us to trust you enough to come with our mouths wide open and to get rid of all the other stuff that keeps us, Lord, from being satisfied in you. So, Lord, remind us that you're enough. Remind us that you're all that we need and then some. And give us hearts that trust you fully, I pray. In Jesus' name. Amen.